You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal in the Kitty Copy Off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. The show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can simply ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. If you go to BuiltBar.com and enter promo code Locked On, you can get $10 off of your first order, so get on it. And today I want to start with a little bit of update. Uh, Obviously, last week was a bit of a unique one on this show because it was a bit of a unique one in the entire United States and in the NFL and everything. And so I guess I'll just recap the events of the weekend, at least as it relates to the NFL and that institution and how it is handling its kind of role in the like nationwide effort to combat systemic racism, especially police brutality and, and the role that the NFL has had in that. And obviously the NFL has had a little bit more of a role in that than you would expect because it is so intrinsically linked to the Colin Kaepernick protests of a couple years ago and that those were like protesting specifically this issue and so NFL players are going to feel a little bit of a mandate to do something about it. And so there's this great article at The Athletic, I think it was The Athletic, uh, whatever it was, I'll link it in the show notes, about the genesis of this video that went viral over the weekend. It was kind of produced, I guess, by Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints, and he sent this script around to a bunch of players, uh, basically calling out the NFL and saying that, you know, the NFL has kind of stood on the wrong side of this issue. They silenced the peaceful protests of the players back in like 2016 and 2017, And the players wanted them to do something about it. So they all recorded this script, uh, this very heavy, emotional, you know, I, it could have been me, this affects all of us, this affects the community, uh, Black Lives Matter video. And they sent it out and it went super, super viral over the weekend. And I think the next day or like the morning after maybe a, a couple of nights later, uh, Roger Goodell released a second statement that added on to, I guess, the one that we kind of criticized last week for not exactly kind of just being a PR thing. And that kind of led to the conversation that we had about like, what is the role of an NFL or a team in a community? And and what should the expectations for like the actual outward statements that they make with the huge platform and the voice that the NFL has? Uh, And so Roger Goodell added something, and it addressed a a, a couple of the problems that I had there, Um, and I'll link that in the show notes as well, but it also followed the script that the players gave them. And it should also be mentioned that some of the social media managers in the NFL, uh, people who like run the Twitter accounts and stuff, were also involved in the creation of this video. One of them even edited the video for Michael Thomas, Uh, and so some credit is, is... do that direction as well for kind of everybody banding together. And it's a very, very strange thing. I mean, you know, imagine all the players banding together and like all of the Vikings players releasing some statement and it actually like making Mike Zimmer do something that would be kind of jarring in terms of this like kind of flipping of roles and this idea of of all the people who work for the NFL forcing the commissioner of the NFL uh, to, to adapt his PR statement. There was also the whole saga of Drew Brees, which I haven't really talked about much on this show because he's a saint, uh, but I guess it's relevant here because part of what... Uh, and I think it's a good, like, 
kind of example. It's a proof of concept for what can happen if somebody just kind of stops and listens for a second, which is what I've been advocating for. So Drew Brees got in a whole bunch of trouble because he kind of doubled and tripled down on the idea that, hey, you know, this is all like a great cause and police brutality is terrible and we should try to curb it, but you, you gotta respect the flag. And that is kind of like not the take right now, especially because it, it shows, it dis- demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Kaepernick protests were. The Kaepernick protests were not a protest of America, they were not a protest of the flag. They were protests against police brutality and systemic oppression. That had nothing to do with the flag or the the actual na- national anthem. The national anthem was kind of a backdrop against which the protests happened, but they were not like at all a- an attack on that national anthem. And and Kaepernick and Malcolm Jenkins and Eric Reed and uh, Kenny Stills and everybody who who was like really involved with that tried really hard to make that clear. But if you don't listen, then it's going to go in one ear and out the other. And so Drew Brees wasn't listening to that message. Now, as an aside, if your take was, yeah, I know they didn't mean to, but it still kind of does did feel disrespectful, then I guess, like, whatever, I, I suppose. But to me, that feels a little pedantic, because it's very clear, like, the messages that they were trying to say, and the thing that they were trying to fight against, and to, to assert otherwise felt kind of like a straw man and a pretty easy excuse to dismiss the difficult conversation that those protests are, like, trying to get you to have. And so Drew Brees was kind of on that side, and he he doubled and tripled down, and he said, but we have to respect America, and we have to respect the flag, and we have to respect property. And that, again, that, that, that kind of misunderstood what a lot of those players were fighting for, Malcolm Jenkins being one of them, and Malcolm Jenkins is on the Saints now, and Michael Thomas is on the Saints, and he was the one that was like the perpetrator of that whole video and has been very active in all of this. And, uh, you know, a lot of other players in that Saints locker room have been pretty active about this, and so that kind of allows for some accessibility. And I'm sure there was some conversation behind the scenes, but there was plenty of conversation out loud and on Twitter and on Instagram and on social media about all this stuff and a lot of public statements and a lot of kind of airing of that dirty laundry. And it was interesting to watch, not only from just the like, ooh, look at the locker room drama of the Saints this time kind of perspective, which I think we're all a little bit guilty of enjoying a little too much, especially when the conversation is probably too serious for that to be the thing, but also just to watch somebody like Drew Brees, who had really dug in his heels, kind of come around. And he then kind of posted a statement. He was like, okay, I get it now. I've had conversations. It took me too long to get it, but now I get it. It's not about the flag. It's about this. I totally support the cause. I need to do better. And it seemed like a much more sincere version of that message than the kind of milk toast, every racism bad, we all must be togetherness, hooray, happy kumbaya fun time that you've gotten from like some of the NFL teams. Instead, this seemed like a really heartfelt like, oh, I was wrong. And I think that stems from making the decision to listen. And I think that's the lesson we can all take from Drew Brees here, that I think it's really important to make the decision to listen. And I mean, honestly, if you've made the decision to listen and your opinion didn't change, then I think that at least you've done the work and at least you can hold more steadfast that, you know, yeah, but, you know, I listened to that and I still think this. And I can have at least a little bit more respect for that than I can for plugging your ears and going, la, 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 the flag in the military. It was pretty clearly never about that. And if you still don't believe me, then I think you're actively trying not to listen. And that is where you lose me. So that's kind of the update there for uh, what's been going on uh, with 
the protests of systemic racism and the uprising with with George Floyd uh, and all of the stuff that's going on there. I'm just going to link the Wide Left podcast uh, because there's a Vikings reporter in it, in, in Arif Hassan, uh, and he does a great job. I'm, I'm actually going to link his blog post so you can read it uh, because I haven't listened to the actual show yet, so I can't vouch for that, but I can vouch for the blog post that accompanied the show that I think does a really good job in, in laying out kind of the perspective. And even if you don't agree with it, I still strongly recommend that you read it, if only to familiarize yourself with the thing that you are disagreeing with. But that's going to do it for that topic for today's show. I want to move on to a couple of stories that I'm really, really excited to tell you. But before I get into all of that stuff, uh, I want to talk to you really quick about Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And they are not lying. Like, it tastes like a chocolate bar. It's a little bit less sweet, which I actually like. I, I don't like it to be too sugary, especially because it's something that you can eat, like, in the morning or after a workout or as a guilt-free late-night snack. And I think it is definitely better than, like, a Snickers bar in that regard. But it still tastes great, and it comes in all kinds of really fun flavors, like raspberry chocolate, a, a double fudge brownie. There's a banana bread one that I think is really real sneaky good. Uh, so if you're interested in that, go to builtbar.com and you can enter promo code locked on and get 10 bucks off of your first order. That's builtbar.com promo code locked on for $10 off of your first order. I think throughout pretty much all of like modern history, there's always been this kids these days are getting so soft kind of thing. And I always think that's funny, especially because I cover football, which is like, it is kids these days, like they're, they're 20s, in their 20s. Uh, and to a lot of people, that's like kids these days. And they're like the toughest SOBs, like made in a lab specifically to be tougher than the guy across from them. So I, I always find that funny. Uh, and I think there's this great counterexample in the Yarborough family. Eddie Yarborough, his defensive end for the Vikings this year. He joined the team really late in 2019. And his dad, Eddie Yarbrough Sr., is, uh, was like always really, really hard on him. He never sugarcoated anything. And both of them can attest to this. He was like, yeah, yeah, I was tough on him. And even you ask Eddie Yarbrough about it. And he's like, yeah, he always told it, told it like it was. If you did bad, you did bad. And so even as a kid, you know, bright-eyed, loving football, wants to play when he's older, uh, you know, and, and there would just always be this this brutal, brutal honesty. And I think that kind of gets you used to dealing with like football coaches who are going to treat you the same way. They'll tell you if you messed up, they'll chew you out, they'll yell at you, they'll make you run laps. And I think that that like father son relationship is a really, really fun context against which to look at all of like Eddie Yarbrough's career. So Eddie Yarbrough is like a, a Colorado kid born and raised. Uh, and he goes to Wyoming, and he has a decent time uh, there at Wyoming, and when he actually ends up joining the pros, he goes undrafted, and Wyoming is not like the biggest, I mean, just like produce like Josh Allen and a couple of pretty big players, I know that there's a couple of them on the Vikings, but at least I think they had uh, Marcus Epps, I believe was from Wyoming, I don't remember if they actually have any other Wyoming people on the roster right now, I don't know, yell at me if I'm wrong on Twitter. But my own, Wyoming, being in the Mountain West, you're not really going to get a chance at the NFL just because you went there, like with, you know, Ohio State or Clemson. But it's it's a decent enough school. And so uh, Eddie Yarbrough ends up getting a chance to make the Broncos. So it's, I believe this was 2016, uh, and he doesn't make the team. 
he was an undrafted guy. He was brought into the Broncos. It was like local team. He gets to play for his hometown guys. And all he gets is a training camp and, you know, the checks for his time and a, a cool memorabilia jersey, practice jersey with his name on it. He can probably go frame in his man cave someday. And that's all you get. And that's all a lot of people get, especially when they don't get a call on cut day. You know, sometimes somebody gets cut and they'll get picked up by the next team. Think about like Brandon Zilstra last year, right? Gets cut and then he ends up over in Carolina. I'm pretty sure he's still on their roster right now. But that is the exception and not the rule. And for Eddie Yarborough, he didn't get a call at all. He was uh, just kind of sitting on the couch like so many do throughout the entire, watching the entire 2016 season from the couch. And for most undrafted free agent players, that's it. That's what you got. You got a chance. You didn't make it. And now it's time. You know, this is why they tell you, go get your degree, focus on school, make sure you have a backup plan because football is only for so long. And so his whole family, his father included, is saying, listen, I'm going to be real with you. We have to keep it straight, right? You're not going to get another call. If you don't start looking for a job, I'm going to start getting really worried for you. But he didn't do it. He was working out three times a day, he's staying in shape, and he kept hope. He was the only one left keeping hope that someday somebody's going to call, we're going to try next offseason, and we're going to see. And sure enough, right before the draft in April, the defensive line coach on the Buffalo Bills, who was interested enough in Eddie Yarbrough when he was coming out of Wyoming a couple of years ago and had watched him through his time, uh, he actually ends up going for a brief moment. He tries to go play for the Calgary Stampeders. He spends six weeks on their scout team, uh, and that doesn't work out. And that's usually the despair, right? You didn't make a CFL team, and that's it. And we actually are, it's very, very bizarre that we actually have two players that were cut from CFL teams uh, or like didn't make it on the scout team of CFL teams that are coming into camp right now. Really unusual to ever see those opportunities, but here Eddie Yarborough is. He's now on the phone with the Buffalo Bills, and they bring him in for training camp in 2017. Sure enough, not only does he make the team, but he actually registers a, a sack in this glorious moment. He's up against uh, the Carolina Panthers. He's playing, you know, against Cam Newton, you know, defending MVP from a couple of years ago, and he sidesteps a tackle, and he gets in, he just crushes Cam Newton. It's this, like, wonderful moment for this guy that uh, was, I mean, completely down and out, and now here he is playing, rotating in on an actual NFL active roster and laying on top of a, a somebody with an MVP under their belt and a Super Bowl appearance. That's a pretty cool moment. And even if that's it for Eddie Yarbrough and he doesn't make the Vikings and, and that's it and his career ends right there, I think that that's a, probably a better career to speak for for you than what it could have been if he had just kind of said, all right, I'll just take my University of Wyoming degree and go, uh, you know, try to get a job in the public sector or whatever. That probably, like if he had given up, we wouldn't have seen this moment. And here he is now with another chance. So he ends up with the Bills for a couple more years. Uh, they ended up waiving him and putting him on the practice squad in 2019. He doesn't make the, the final 53 man. And he ends up spending that year on the practice squad. Over in Minnesota, Armin Watts gets hurt in, uh, I, I forget if it was the week 16 or the week 17 game, but Armin Watts gets hurt. He ends up going on IR for the playoffs and the Vikings need a little bit of extra depth. So they end up scouring through all these practice squads and they like Eddie Yarborough's athleticism just like the Buffalo Bills did at the time and they decide to bring him in as some weird depth to take them through the playoffs. So then he 
signs the future contract, and here he is trying to crack this really weird edge group uh, where you technically have a chance at a start uh, just because I, I think it's going to be a Fadio Denebo. You guys know how high I am on a Fadio Denebo, uh, but he will have to win that job. He will have to like prove what I think about him is true in training camp, and when there is somebody that is true of, then kind of everybody underneath them is going to have that in their sights. So that's going to be Eddie Yarbrough, uh, and, and I think he's probably entering training camp going, yeah, if I play well enough, if I outplay Afadio Denebo and Anthony Zettel and all these guys, I can start, and, you know, Kenny Willekes and stuff, uh, I, I can play, and that is going to be kind of his path to the roster, he might have to play some special teams, and he's somebody who's been, you know, a scrappy, just find a way onto the roster kind of guy, uh, so that might give him an advantage over some of the rookies, but it, again, it's a really crowded group, right? You've got uh, spots kind of de facto going to Daniil Hunter, Fadio Denebo, probably DJ Wanham is a fourth-round pick. Super rare to see those guys get cut. So you have to outplay Kenny Willekes. You have to outplay Anthony Zettel just to get into the rotation, and you probably have to outplay those guys on special teams if you're not going to get into the rotation. You have to play well enough on special teams to kind of prove that you deserve a spot. And it's especially, there's additional pressure there because of all of the D defensive tackles, you know, the Vikings are going to be hard. I mean, they kept six defensive tackles on the roster last year, and they're going to be hard pressed to cut those guys this year. So there's some additional pressure on the defensive ends to kind of make room. You're not going to get five defensive ends if there's six defensive tackles. So there's a lot of pressure on Eddie Yarbrough, and there's a decent chance that this is going to be it for him. But he had a decent run on the Bills, and it's definitely the kind of like comeback story that makes me hesitant to ever count him out. So next up, I'm really excited to tell you about uh, the story of one of the Vikings' first round picks, so stick around for that. In St. Rose, Louisiana, there is a levee a couple miles off the freeway and through a bunch of marshland. There's a, a levee on the Mississippi River that protects the town from flooding. And I want you to imagine on this levee a couple of high school athletes training at different ages. uh, One's in college, one's in high school, I believe, at the time. And, you know, kind of running up and down. And in their wake, trying desperately to keep up, despite being nine years younger than his eldest brother, a little Justin Jefferson running up and down the levee and grinding with them. That is the Jefferson family. Jefferson family is LSU born and raised. They are like Louisiana. They all went to LSU, and you might even recognize a couple of the names. Jordan Jefferson was the quarterback there from like 2008 to 2011. Uh, I believe played in a national championship, but lost. Ricky Jefferson went through there and uh, actually was on the Saints for a beat. And those two are nine and five years older than Justin Jefferson, respectively. So he was always in their wake and always under their wing. And there are a lot of fun little stories about him kind of experiencing the college careers of his brothers. Now, Jordan Jefferson, of course, quarterback for LSU. If you're an LSU fan, you probably don't have great memories of Jordan Jefferson. Of course, there's this biting, stinging loss to Alabama, 21-0. There are all these other disappointing moments and uh, some of the frustration bubbling up with Les Miles. That that is kind of the beginning sowing seeds of the discontent that leads to his firing many, many years later. But in the last moments of uh, Jordan Jefferson's career in LSU, I mean, he was thrown to Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry as they were coming into their own at LSU. So you get quite a bit of this kind of context of just kind of being bred around eliteness. And imagine, you know, you're playing football outside with your your big brother, and your big brother's used to throwing needles to Odell Beckham and starts throwing those at you when you're like 13. 
And that's the environment that I think leads Jordan Jefferson to be the catcher that he is because he's just constantly surrounded by, like, LSU. And his time in high school is probably where his story is is the most tenuous, because in in, uh, on, in freshman year, he's way too small to actually play. And he's actually kind of a late bloomer, like, physically. He just, like, puberty hits him late. And so freshman year, he's totally not, he's, he's scout team, right? And that happens in freshman year of high school. Uh, and he ends up getting hurt. And it's his elbow, I believe. And so he gets an x-ray and the doctor looks at a a bone plate and sees the signs of somebody who's about to spring right up. So this little guy, and it's funny because we think of him, you know, as the the LSU rookie, this big body contested catch kind of guy. And he's this little tort freshman year high school. But sure enough, a couple of years later, he actually does spring up and he's this like gangly, awkward, you know, now imagine that trying to keep up with Ricky Jefferson, who's in college and Jordan Jefferson, who's done with it uh, on that Levy running around it's like looking like a, a freshly born giraffe. And so he doesn't have a lot of high school experience and he entirely doesn't look the part. And so he still is not really playing as much as he wants to in high school. And he gets really, really frustrated with this. And and Justin Jefferson is somebody that does not take failure and just like deal with it. He's somebody that has to figure out a way to go back and work and win. There is this wonderful story. He goes, he actually qualifies for a punt pass kick competition when he's nine years old. And he goes to Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. The Carolina Panthers are playing a playoff game with uh, the Arizona Cardinals. And he gets to go do the punt, punt, the, the punt pass kick in uh, at halftime. And he gets third place, which is nothing, you know, something to hang your hat on. That's nothing to be ashamed of. And he's livid about it. Like, he wanted to win, and third place is not good enough. And that's the mentality he kind of approaches everything with. And unfortunately, it kind of bites him in the butt here, because he gets really frustrated with not playing in high school in kind of the same way, and his grades are the things that bear the brunt of it. So his academics are totally not up to snuff, and he doesn't get recruited as highly as he should at all. I think he's like a two-star recruit, because he's still kind of gangly, and it's weird, and he's not quite like the filled out athlete, uh, and he doesn't have the grades, and so he doesn't get a lot of recruitment. However, LSU, of course, this kid's going to be on their radar, right? Little brother of their quarterback, little brother of the corner from a couple years ago, so of course they're going to go give Justin Jefferson a look. And their wide receiver coach, who's been there for like 40 years, uh, he's on the Cardinals now, by the way, uh, he takes a look, and and he can kind of tell when somebody just is going to need to put on some weight and fill out, but can tell when there's something different here, when there's something that's maybe subverting what you would usually expect from a player that's a two-star recruit that doesn't have the grades, that blah, 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 blah. And and that alarm bell goes off when he starts seeing Justin Jefferson work out. And so the final scholarship offer of the 2017 season for the LSU recruiting class goes to Justin Jefferson. And that, I think, is all the opportunity that he was going to need because he starts putting on weight, he starts being uh, a bigger part of the offense, and his time at LSU, you're probably a lot more familiar with as like a fixture on LSU for the last like three or four years, being this dynamic duo with Jamar Chase, and then of course becoming the first round pick that gets drafted by the Vikings. So now there's a little bit of responsibility to him. And and for him, you know, the preseason isn't going to be as big of a deal for him as it is for somebody like, say, Eddie Yarbrough, whose whole career might be riding on it. For Justin Jefferson, I mean, he's not going to be, like, trying to make the team or trying to even really, like, win the starting job or anything. I'm sure he'll have to, like, as a formality, he'll have to, like, beat out Chad Beebe. But I'd be pretty shocked, even with a terrible preseason, if he rode the bench like Laquan Treadwell did. Instead, it's going to be an acclimating kind of thing. But his situation right now, in that he is just due to lack of depth elsewhere in the group, 
kind of the anointed wide receiver two guy. Like he is a starter and, and that is not like a position that he's going to be used to being in or anything. This is somebody that was kind of always an underdog, always trying to prove something, always trying to kind of, you know, like access that chip on his shoulder, prove the haters wrong and and prove, you know, that he's not just the little brother. I mean, this is like absolutely somebody that's going to have that like little brother chip on his shoulder. And now he's the guy and he's coming in with a lot of fanfare. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects his mentality. But considering like, I mean, he's like nine years old, huffing and puffing about getting third place nationwide in a punt pass kick. Like, I I don't think he's going to lose any competitive edge or anything, but it will be interesting to see how he responds when he's not constantly being doubted by the people who are responsible for giving him opportunities. That can work out in a lot of cases, and it can totally backfire in a lot of cases. Not really a way to say, and I think that's kind of true of a lot of rookies. But that's kind of the situation we get in. But the the idea of like superstar Justin Jefferson is something that has just kind of now started to pay off. So I will see how that works out. But I, I think it helps to understand where Justin Jefferson is coming from to understand that legacy of, you know, college superstars, that legacy of competitiveness, competition, uh, and that kind of pedigree that he comes from and, and now brings to the Vikings. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast. You can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. This podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. If you want to order it, you can go to BuiltBar.com and enter promo code Locked On to get 10 bucks off of your first order. And as always, Skull. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.